0: If you're horny, let's do it, ride it, my pony.
1: In honor of Amy, what's the most eye-opening documentary on a musician?
2: I'm Katie Rich and I'm going with Rush Beyond the Lighted Stage because I went from knowing literally nothing about Rush to feeling very affectionate toward them. So consider my eyes opened.
1: You knew nothing about Rush?
2: I like, Actually Nothing.
1: Uh, I am going to go with a 1974 documentary, A Poem is a Naked Person, which is being re-released. It's about Leon Russell, it was directed by Les Blank, and it's coming out again in a remastered version. And David likes
0: it, too. It's actually coming out for the first time. because it's coming out for the first time. It was never released because Leon Russell didn't approve of it at the time, and Les Blank couldn't get... A print finished in time for it to play it can, and it was lost for 40 years, so it's very exciting.
1: I guess what uh, I'm saying is I didn't need to know any of that, and I still enjoyed it. Yeah,
0: mm. absolutely, and he uh, stole my answer, so I will lean back on Old Faithful uh, Radiohead's Meeting People is Easy, or what's-his-face, Guy, what's the guy, the name of the, uh, the guy who directed that? Uh, oh, this is going to kill me. Meeting People is Easy, quick, type faster! Uh, Guy Grant Gee Grant Gee The suspense was killing me there is easy. Uh, It's easy That's a really interesting documentary Gentlemen you can't fight in here This is the war room Fine I can hear you now Dimitri Clear and plain and coming through fine I'm coming through fine too eh Good then Well then as you say we're both coming through fine Good Well it's good that you're fine then And I'm fine I agree with you it's great to be fine it's it's on.
2: Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode seventy six for Tuesday, June thirtieth. It is the nineteenth anniversary of the day you, the United Kingdom handed Hong Kong over to China. That you didn't Very that, applicable. Did you? Very topical. Uh, we are down a Dave, but still have a full podcast for you. And uh, you never know, David might sing uh, Pony maybe ten times before this is over.
1: Burr. 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 I'm pop locking right now.
2: <laughs> There's really a visual component to this week's podcast. Yeah, I wish. You're all wish missing out on. <laughs> I wish I could see you pop locking. Yeah.
1: All right. This week sees the release of the fifth Terminator installment for some reason. Terminator Genesis. That's with J G-E-N-Y-I. Right. How do you spell it S Y
0: S I thought this movie this is a real movie yeah. This is
1: happening. It's happening it in a, this a, timeline.
2: It's not History part unbe- of the uh, Tropic Thunder <laughs> yeah. sequel that I no one told thought it was a about. joke
1: that just went
0: horribly out of control.
1: No, that's because you came from the future where it didn't happen, but now mm. that it has happened, it's, it, it exists. And David so, is here to help us avoid a nuclear yeah, war. Yeah, this is the apocalypse as we know it. Um, in anticipation of Terminator Genesis, I, uh, I I decided that I was going to watch all of Arnold Schwarzenegger's movies. I'm not the first person to do this. In fact, I probably... Oh, I don't owe anything to our colleague at Film Spotting SVU, Matt Singer, but I feel like if Matt Singer didn't exist because he is an Arnold aficionado, that Arnold Schwarzenegger himself would not exist and I would not be able to watch all his movies. So for that, I'm somehow indebted to Matt. Again, this is about timeline shifting. Matt's, you know, his, his being alive makes Arnold alive.
2: I am amazed that you carved out. I mean, like, what, did you see your girlfriend? Like, how, why did you do this? Oh,
1: she was involved. So she she is collateral so you, damage you to my uh, uh, Terminator marathon. A... Yeah, I mean, I knew from a few months out that I was going to do this. So I got my Netflix queue ready. I rented a lot of movies off iTunes, which I don't normally do. And I sat down and I got it done. Um, and I, I didn't include... Uh, well i so I'm, I'm, I ranked them at Esquire because that 's what you do on the internet. You rank
2: if you 're going to go through the effort of write, watching all those, you may as well write you, you about
1: might it. as well put them in some order and present them to the internet so that the the internet can grill you. Um, but I do think I learned a lot about Arnold watching these movies. I certainly have seen a lot of them already, and I rewatched them for this marathon because it had been. You know, year, you know, since college, I don't think I had seen Commando. Sat down and watched it when it wasn't on television or something, or even the Terminator movies: Terminator One and Terminator Two, Judgment Day. I don't think I had sat down and really watched them when they weren't on, you know, Sunday afternoon TNT programming or something. Um, these movies that are held to a pinnacle, p- partially because, or they are the pinnacle of action cinema. That's what people say about Terminator Two all the time, but like you never really understand that when you see it chopped up with commercial breaks, or you watch part of it on Netflix. I wanted to sit down and watch all these movies again. And I think I learned a lot about Arnold as a performer. I think that he stands out from the pack of Sylvester Stallone, some Jean-Claude Van Dams. I don't think Stallone's a particularly good actor. I think you can throw that goon in a movie with a machine gun and make it work. Uh, I hate the Expendables films, but Rambo, it works. Or Rocky, you know, he's, he, he can get slugged in the face a few times and we cheer and it's great. I don't think he's a especially good actor. I do think Arnold Schwarzenegger is a good actor. I think he has Total control Over his charm I mean I think This is why He was a great Politician too Or not? maybe not A great one But a effective. one who made it into politics, an electable
2: politician. <laughs> yes,
1: an electable politician. Um, he's super chart. Like I watched Pumping Iron again, this documentary uh, from 1970. Uh, I'm forgetting seven, I think. Something like that. Um, you know that he, him, and Lou Farigno were the stars of, pitted against each other in a way. Um, and he just tells these amazing stories. He's such a natural storyteller, which really helps him when he's doing all this in, betu- in this uh, interstitial work for these action movies you know arnold can flex he can uh, grab his machine gun and go shoot goons but what counts and what makes his movies good is his ability to land these wisecracks these one-liners that he's so famous for commando is the epitome of this don't wake uh, my
0: friend yeah
1: <laughs> <dead> <laughs> <there's tired. laughs> so many good well, i mean and that's why batman and robin is actually pretty watchable because he is the master of the puns um and and he's a, he's also very sweet he's a charming guy and i watched um true lies again the other and night remember
0: that time that he had a uh, love child with his nanny that he did well this is all removed from on, that it's... i'm so glad i don't we're really. talking about I'm...
2: star persona not actual personality <laughs> i
0: know i'm the last to conflate the two but it is always it, that's always of course gonna be the first thing i think well, of well matt of matt singer speaking of
1: Speaking of Matt, we'll tell you that there is a very strong parallel to every kind of movie that Arnold has made and his life. He has a grand theory. It's much better and more substantial than the Pixar theory or something like that, but it
0: is just as grand and Mm. intertwining with with truth and fiction to trust or you know <laughs> take much stock in the word of somebody who didn't care for a Magic Mike XXL but,
1: <laughs> We're trying uh, to not just talk about that movie all the whole time, I you
0: self-obsessed about fool. About
1: so wait, I really want to turn this to you guys because I don't know what your relationship is with Arnold's movies or, or what movies you really care for, what you don't, and why people kind of put him on a pedestal as an action hero, and if he does seem like he stands apart from the rest of the crowd if there's highlights or not What do you guys think?
2: I think you made a really solid point that the the proof of the charisma is in his career as a politician and in his staying power in that way which is I don't know if I think he is a good actor. I think I think he's a good movie star which you might not think is a really different thing but like in the Terminator especially don't. like his charisma doesn't matter at all. Like that is not the point of that role. Like Terminator 2 it obviously becomes really important. I like Terminator better than Terminator
1: 2. But this is range, know. right? This is him able to be... He can be stoic and he can play... He knows comedy. I mean, being stoic is no huge
2: accomplishment. Like, Gina Carano pulls that off in Fast 6 or whatever and she's an awful actress.
1: Whoa. Totally different. So, Gina Carano was a bad actress and she is, is being pushed in different directions by Soderbergh and the different supporting actors there. I don't think that in Terminator or Terminator 2, Arnold Schwarzenegger has any kind of crutch like that. Take a scene where he... Time travels back and he goes in the bar and he's going to get the clothing. These are comedic scenes where he has to play this ultimate straight man against these people who are freaking out. And he... He can play that straight, but he can also like put on a pair of shades. Um, this is a, I'm refer- Now I'm referencing both Terminator 2 and Terminator 3, and Terminator 3 puts on star shades, and it's really corny. But he gets that joke, and you know he does, because he's playing into it even while being stoic. Well, this I, is not I, Gina Carano.
2: Yeah, no, I, I, was, I was using her as an example of what he's not in kind of your defense, and I would say True Lies, which I, I've seen somehow seen True Lies like three times in the last six months, um, and it gets better
1: every time I watch it. Um, and he's,
2: he's really funny in that. And he, like, many
1: feminists ha- think it's problematic, Katie. Of course, I
2: mean, yeah, lots of things are problematic. <laughs> um, it's Yeah, there's a lot of things that are fucked up about the way Jamie Lee Curtis gets treated in that movie, but it's also really funny and they're really fun to watch together. Um, and yeah, Arnold holds his own. Like he, uh, There's definitely a lot of charisma in there, but I don't know if calling him a great actor is even a useful way to describe him.
0: I mean, I think it's tricky because there are so many of his most iconic roles, all of his most iconic roles are parts that nobody else could play in the way that he plays them he is completely singular in that sense and I think that when somebody has something unique to offer to um, movie dumb that there, there is a greatness inherent to that which can't be denied um, on the flip side of that I think that this conversation for me is more interesting in terms of films like Maggie which came out to you know which I didn't the sounds of Silence especially care this year. for but
1: I like him in I mean right, I like- and- he evinced
0: uh, he evinced a lot more. He was a lot more believable in that movie, outside of the fact that he was an Austrian-born Kentucky farm boy, um, <laughs> than uh, than I would have expected. And it made me wish that he had played into that flexibility or, or tested its boundaries a little bit more over the course of his career. Uh, but I think Arnold is just, as I was saying, one of those cases where. It makes you broaden the definition of greatness and not think of it as a synonym for versatility uh, in the way that like Daniel Day Lewis is a great actor. I mean I think there are different standards for what everybody brings to there the are, table. But and I think I would... he's great. But I don't think that he's great in I, I think it's laughable to suggest that he's great in the way that you're suggesting he's great.
1: That I'm suggesting he's great.
0: Yes. I don't think it's laughable to think well, that. Well, I mean I'm he's I'm not calling inside. him Daniel Day-Lewis.
1: <laughs> I'm saying that he is versatile and he can when people take advantage of him as you're suggesting like he is in roles that only he seems to be able to fill um and i think that is partially true but there are movies that try to take advantage of him and there are movies that utilize him and utilize his skills and i would pit uh, jingle all the way against kindergarten cop kindergarten oh, cop really actually pretty good movie um definitely I- it's about manhood it's about masculinity it's you know, this huge guy who can no longer just punch his adversaries in the face because they are five years old um, he has in to combat, there. you know uh, abusive dads and drug dealer murderers who are coming in he has to protect these children and size matters, he has to be huge and these kids have to be so tiny and fragile and then Jingle All the Way is heinous I mean, it thinks that because Arnold Schwarzenegger is big that his he deserves to fall down he's Kevin James just because of his size and that's what comedy means to someone like that um there's i think you can play into arnold schwarzenegger or you can embrace him and figure out what he can be really great at because he's a funny guy
2: yeah i I mean you know what i'm curious about how does junior hold up
1: junior is not great but i will say this he's really sweet i mean he he can play these tender scenes um uh, across from Oh Jesus, who is Emma uh, Emma, Emma Thompson? Uh, Thompson, which is so weird. Yeah, uh, seeing she her had really a weird early nineties in the nineties. Yeah, but you know there are scenes in Junior the whole shtick of being like I have estrogen in me. Oh, I, I'm acting like a lady now, or I'm like I'm I'm chowing down on food because I'm so hungry. I'm pregnant. All that stuff's pretty eye roll worthy, but. What's really sweet about that movie is when Arnold starts feeling really protective of his child, and these are also things where you, you could just, it could be hammy, and he could be like, oh no, my baby! But he's really sweet and sensitive about it. He has that side to him. He is parental, and I think that really plays into, you see that across many roles, and Junior capitalizes on that. That's why I think... um Uh, Ivan Reitman has been a very good director for him. Twins is kind of uh, a light rain man, uh, and I know many people who seem to adore Twins. I'm not the the biggest fan, Um, but it's, again, a really sweet brother movie, and it's not just about the fact that Arnold is big and Danny DeVito is small. It's about what being big, how that changes your personality, and what being small, like Danny DeVito, must do to your personality, and how you compensate for it, and what two of those personalities merging are all about. These movies are about things, and I think... Uh, as david proves people underestimate him i'm just a bachelor i'm looking for a partner All right, so before the podcast, I asked you guys, I told you that I I have had multiple people been asking me for my opinion for some reason. Horrible idea, because then I just start talking uh, about male objectification. And it seems to be in the conversation in a big way. Magic Mike, clearly, coming out this week. Also, Chris Pratt. I didn't think about this (laughs) (laughs) during Jurassic World, that he was being objectified by his tight khaki pants. Uh, But apparently, that's a thing. And vest. That's a thing? Yeah. We just like him being hot.
2: Yeah, he's really hot in it, and the camera pays attention to it.
1: Movies That's do this. Yeah,
2: uh, Chris Evans gets the same treatment in The Avengers.
1: All right, so, yo, that makes sense. Well, they all do, right? I mean, they're all kind of Mostly muscular Chris Evans. suits. Yeah, well, Chris Hemsworth, has sleeve. he's sleeveless. He's like big Thor. Anyway, we're all gazing, right? Uh, so the question here that I wanted to do a quick little bit from both of you is if male objectification... Is a problem or something that we should be happy to see really kind of flooding into the movie theaters, into culture itself. And I'll immediately play devil's advocate because I think we'll probably all be in agreement that it's in some way a very positive thing, a balancing of the female objectification that we have seen for Hundreds of years, probably, uh, but but is it really a good thing? Do we want objectification? That seems like such a, a nasty way of putting it, but that's what it is. We're gazing, we're, we're talking about beauty, we're talking about standards, and... Um, you know that can have a negative influence on especially young people i guess that's what body shaming is all about you don't want to or body standards you don't want to send the wrong message what people have to be and that's what kind of the the dark side of objectification is all about so to the two of you i'll start with katie Katie, what do you think about
2: that? Uh, real quick, whether or not objectification in general is a good thing, we have it. And the fact that women are now allowed to uh, be the uh, gazers in the situation is a way to embrace sex positivity for women, to make women feel good about being a sexual, having sexual thoughts about people. The fact that, you know, you can go see Jurassic World and you might think Jurassic, you might think that Chris Pratt is hot, but a lot of movies will just pretend that they're, you know, they don't care what the male lead looks like. And uh, Jurassic World embraces it, it allows women to embrace sexuality. And Magic Mike XXL, which we might talk talk about later this week is a really good example of that. And uh, anything that helps bring down the patriarchy that tells women they're not allowed to be sexual <laughs> is a good thing.
1: But what do, does it have any, can you see it having any dark side? Is there any I problem mean, with it? If I, I, I thought about this, if there's a magic mic strip, if there's a guy stripper movie and a female stripper movie came out, which w- would play the exact same way. Would that ugly? Be okay. Well, coyote ugly was eons ago at this point, but if something now came out. No, it,
2: be, it would be really strippers. different because the whole reason that Magic Magma XS, XSL is interesting is because male objectification is somewhat revolutionary and new. So you have to take the gender into account. But I think that no matter what, if you're seeing Jurassic World, like Chris Pratt's going to be hotter than you. He's going to you know maybe make you feel bad about it. And for the camera to acknowledge that he's hot and allow people to kind of revel in that is not going to make the body standards thing any
1: worse. It's going to help me get my dad bod out of here.
2: I mean, Chris yeah. Pratt. I was gonna say he was hotter before, but you know that's me. That's me. Wow. Okay.
1: Uh, David, hell yes. What do you think?
0: Uh, I don't know. I think. Uh, I think that. Open it, the can of worms. Smell the can of worms. I think that it's fine. I think that um, yes, the scales need to be balanced a little bit, and I think that uh, it's a really easy conversation to have when. The reverse objectification is done as amicably and intelligently and joyfully as it's done in Magic Mike um, without a lot of the uh, belittling ramifications, connotations that have always been intrinsic to the object- objectification of women on screen um, because it's done by men. It's uh, on their playing field. They are always in control Um I I don't know. I think that uh, if 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 both sexes are I I can't confess to claim that I have any sort of authority, tative opinion on this, but I do think that if if uh, we are able to level a playing field, then um, and are able to have some fun with it, and are able to, if it's a level playing field, then it's I mean the whole idea of feminism is inequality, and the whole idea of objectification is is placing one gender above another to gaze downwards at uh the gender that's been lowered from them and so if it actually achieves this sort of equality of the jokes going both ways in equal measure um then yeah there i I can definitely foresee some sort of negating effect and it being okay but i do think that uh it's hard to compare them one to one i think that when done in this way, there's an innocence to the objectification of the men in Magic Mike that is absent from the objectification of
1: women. Right, there's and no so that, like, uh, Channing Tatum motorcycle say, shot for instance. Right, right. you um, can't just say that like,
0: um, if you have ten movies that objectify men and ten movies that objectify women, then it's a wash. Because one of those movies that objectifies women will do so in a way that's so much more violent and um, oppressive than you know so many movies that might do things the opposite direction. So, uh, I, I, all I will concede is that Magic Mike XXL is a, 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 the world is a better place for it being in it. Bring out the dongs.
1: That's what they say. We solved this problem. Next,
2: solve mm-hmm. sexism. Great work, everybody. <laughs>
1: So, last week, you know, in the, in the week we did our quarter quell to now, uh, I think everything happened. In the, everything... In, the,
2: in the week when there was no entertainment news that mattered compared <laughs> to real news, it was kind of a good thing that we just took the week off from chattering.
1: That's true. We weren't really behind on anything because nothing important happened in the world of Hollywood or culture, really. And everything happened in the world of... Uh, News, hard news, politics, society. Um, so much has happened. But I, I, I expressed to you guys, and I don't really know where we're going with this segment, but I just wanted to put it all out there, that there was a strange divide, that um, everything that was happening, there was still a conversation in Hollywood. It was about Jurassic World making tons of money. <laughs> it was about you know like, nostalgia for the 90s. These strange conversations, and it's so displaced from where we are Politically, and you know, I spent my whole week emailing back and forth with Katie about the Confederate flag because Katie's a huge Confederate flag sympathizer. Man, I just you can't out. even
2: joke about that. People are <laughs> gonna really
1: come burn down my house. No, you just. This was a really sensitive moment for you. You were well, from the south.
2: I, oh my god! I'm, now you're going to make me defend it. I basically. I'm not going to. De-
1: you don't. You don't have to defend anything.
2: I have never supported the Confederate flag being displayed on South Carolina State House grounds. I was frustrated by the hypocrisy <laughs> of the politicians who suddenly jumped on the bandwagon, pretending they'd been there all along.
0: And yet, better than the alternative of them digging their heels yep. and saying, "Indeed, so, you know, so. good." Well, so good riddance to the, the flag. This is the whirlwind. Um,
1: yeah, th- this this maelstrom of of positive things. I mean, taking down the Confederate flag was really important. Everything that's happened, all the speeches, all the Supreme Court decisions, it's this huge just maelstrom of, of change. Um, and we don't really have the immediate art to reflect that. Um, and th- that's not necessarily different than way back when. I think in email chains, I was talking to you guys about how, you know, when Martin Luther King Jr. was giving his I have a dream speech way back when Flipper was the number one movie <laughs> in theaters, and that was after three weeks of Cleopatra dominating, and Doctor No came out that same year and was killing it at the box office. Um, but what was interesting is, at least in I, be- oh my god, 1963, 1963, I oh thank God, I know my shit. Um, that to you know uh, to kill a mockingbird also. Was or was around the corner. It's, uh, I think that book came out in 62, and it took two years for Universal to turn into a movie. It was out in, by 64. I think it came out actually over a summer. You know, in the 60s, lots of different movies were coming out, not as many. We get a billion movies every month uh, in 2015 but at least then the movies that were coming out were scattered across. Here, I feel like if we're going to have a movie that's going to say something about this current time or, or have the awareness, you know, we've been kind of stewing for this change for many months many years and I still don't feel like we have a movie to talk about that says things about what's going on in this world like if you're frustrated about this whole confederate flag issue or just like this immediate change all these big things happening where do you turn to in pop culture entertainment um, movies can't do it because they take many years to turn around but this, the, so do supreme court cases so what, what am I getting at here I don't even know I um. guess I'm frustrated but I, I don't know why i mean hollywood's not speaking our language obviously but it seems odd that they wouldn't because these are huge
0: issues i want
2: to interrupt well, for a second and say i said that selma was in 1963 i was i meant i have a dream which was not 1963 and that's what Patches was referring to i know the difference oh, thank
0: you for Carry alienating on. our one black listener forever Jesus. the one person who stuck with us through all those other racist conversations we've had oh god um i i think that well first of all patches you know you recognize the um the fact that Hollywood can't respond to the minute to what's happening in the right. world. And I think and, we've
1: and, talked about that before. Right. It's made us upset, yada, yada.
0: And hopefully they can do their best to anticipate what's going to happen and sort of take the pulse of the country, and sometimes there's a certain serendipity involved. Um, I think, of course, you know people like John Oliver, uh, you know, oh, what? shame on you, Confederate flag! <laughs> you know, <laughs> Wait, that and, was an um, actual segment. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it was. And Jon Stewart and the rest uh fill that gap as best they can um but i do think that you know you look at a movie like selma which is sort of in this limbo because it reflects on events that happened 40 years ago uh, but also in its own depressing way anticipates what happened this year Um, and so I, i think it's it's probably painting with too broad a stroke to say that Uh, the movies are completely non-responsive. And and in the summertime, obviously that can feel exaggerated because you're looking at Jurassic World as it's dominating the landscape and saying like, boy, this feels like it's from another planet. Um, But then again, you remember how Furiosa captured the imagination of so many people in this country for its portrayal of women. And that felt very of the moment, of course, which is not to say that uh, equal depiction of women, depiction of strong women should be a passing fad, but it definitely... Uh, help galvanize people to realize the the kind of depictions that they would like to see in major studio movies. And so, like, that felt of the moment. And in its own way, I would argue that uh, Aloha's misguided representation of uh, Alice and Ng was of the moment. I mean, I think that the movies are more connected to the zeitgeist, what's happening, than your setup necessarily gave him credit for. Uh, But... And I think that sometimes that can be a more accurate way of doing it because having that time to step out of the immediate bubble of what's happening um, can allow things to clarify. It can clarify things. It can get a different, more helpful perspective than reporting the the following day after a major Supreme Court decision or tragedy. Although I think sure. that the ramifications of last week's Supreme Court decisions are quite obvious and they are all to the positive. uh But, yeah, so I think that the, you know... And and the movie's paved the way. I mean, we talked a little bit about Brokeback Mountain in our email chain, and I think it was Katie was saying that, you know, movies... um, There hasn't been a a movie that has really come along to... uh, I don't know if you're talking explicitly about gay marriage and and gay rights, but, like, to to really galvanize that. And my response to you is that you can't blackfish human rights in that way. I mean, it's it's not as simple... A matter is that and the, the seismic changes required for these things to pass, uh, require time. And, and it's yeah, and I now pronounce you uh,
1: Chuck and Larry. I mean, they tried. Right. they tried. It well, tried. I
2: think that television gets a ton of the credit, and I think this is a documented effect for uh, the way that the country evolved on gay rights specifically. Like, the existence of Will and Grace did a ton to introduce people to the idea of gay people being like them. Like, it's a and television has kind of had this impact a lot throughout history. Like you think of all in the family and its impact on race relations in the seventies. So as frustrated as we can get by movies still being really cautious. I mean, there hasn't been a serious gay romance since Back Mountain made by a major studio. And I don't see their, made I, guess by because major studio. You, I guess because I mean, you can't like, do it. I mean, in indie, I mean, there's probably, there's, pl- there's obviously a lot of queer indies, but in terms of like, you know, crossover any successes, there's weekend. And that's about all I can think of off the top of my head. Um, but studios are still going to be cautious. But television, especially now in this very you know broad television world, we have transparent. We have so much, so many things going on. So there's a lot of credit that TV gets for gay rights specifically, even though there's still like so few people of color in television. That there's also huge other problems going on.
0: Yeah, I think I just uh, with with sort of as to what you were saying, it's um, it's hard to gauge in the moment how these things are having a cumulative effect and you look back at some movies that now seem needlessly regressive I'm thinking of something like Philadelphia you look back at that and from our vantage point now um, it seems very uh, sort of apprehensive and and emotionally powerful to the extreme but um, we're looking at it from uh, maybe not individually more evolved but certainly a more evolved society Uh, but that doesn't mean that you should understate the effect that Philadelphia had and making those seismic movements towards progress uh, and and so I think that like the, the movies and the movies can often have a much bigger effect than really push things than um, some depictions on television because you know will and Grace I think absolutely it saturated uh, Americans with this understanding of gay people being a thing it was not necessarily a particularly nuanced or flattering depiction of uh, of gaze, but um, you know it, it does. It, but it become it can become white noise. I think that especially it goes into syndication. It's just sort of there. I think something like Brokeback Mountain. Part of its success was that the whole culture converged on this one moment, um, and it felt very. Uh, deliberate.
2: But when was the last time you could think of a movie having an actual seismic impact? Like, what is... What's a recent example of a movie really moving... Well, uh, the, I mean, Blackfish, I guess?
1: Selma. I mean, I, I would argue in... For, for Selma in this way, because those... that Ava DuVernay from Ava, my, wow, you, Ava, Ava, Ava Duvernay? DuVernay, I think. Oh, I, okay, I'll try. <laughs> Ava DuVernay um, seems to have become, a, like, a really strong... Voice for for black advocacy in many ways. She's there. She's on, like, she is present for, you know, when, when this woman cl- climbed up the, the South Carolina, uh, what was it, the court? It's the state house. The yeah. State house pole and took down this flag. You know, Ava was on Twitter being like, this woman is a hero. And I want to make a movie about her. Uh, that's, like, a really powerful thing. And, you know, when Selma came out, those guys walked to their red carpet with, um, the um, I think black the, Lives, I can't,
2: oh yeah, I can't breathe. Or black. Lives I can't matter, breathe. I can't t-shirts,
1: and on one side I'm like, are you capitalizing on this? Are you make? Are you turning your movie into the now uh, to like get the ball rolling, box office wise or something? <laughs> or are you actually pr- tracing a line between what you're making films about and what's happening now? Are you pr- are you vindicating its existence in some way? Um, I, 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 that movie made it uh, it 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 had seismic effects uh, but and I made, think it like, grew. No money it didn't, and well it no. didn't make a lot of money, but it seems to have been playing in a lot of places for free, you know it's playing across the nation it's playing in schools uh, I mean, and Eva's a personality that's beyond the film that seems to it's carried her to a position of
2: uh, i advocacy. i hope I hope that she is in as, as strong a strong position as it seems to me as someone who follows her on Twitter and you know is in film media i don't know that she's had as strong as impact as she deserves to or as the film deserved to. But it's, it's I mean, I don't think it's possible to have something even that's as impactful as Back Mountain anymore. I think people aren't paying attention to the same media enough for movies or television to do
1: that. Mm, I, you think that there's too much on a micro level that can come out Yeah, I mean,
2: we, we talk all the time about how, yeah, you know, your viewing experience wow. is really tailored to you. You can choose what you watch. Like, there's no... uh Macro.
1: But wow, look, there's no that re- That's like, look, that's a pretty bold statement. That's like, there's no way to make a movie that's reactionary anymore. That's but, but being at about I mean, the now.
2: No, that you can make a movie that's reactionary. It's just not necessarily going to get everybody talking I, about I, it unless so somehow you work in
0: hear Jurassic World. From, it's so ironic to hear this from you because it's not necessarily a movie, but like the biggest, you know, as far as social issues are concerned um, and how the media plays into them, I'm not talking about Supreme Court verdicts, the most. You know, important thing that happened, or, or the the largest uh, this year, was on the cover of the magazine you work for. And, I mean, and that was a moment you could not. It doesn't matter if I if you don't read Vanity Fair, um, if that uh, was something that came to you. And but that's
2: a news story. That's not. A, that's not. art that, that was that's not, not a,
0: entertainment. That, I, I'm. I sorry. That was art. That the entire. His entire transition uh, is a human journey, but the presentation of it, uh, the how it played in, out on the media was a narrative. And no, okay. Yeah, yeah. And right. photography art. is art. All right, and, I'm, I'm with uh, you on that. Yeah, and all of those things. Um, I sound like Schwarzenegger. And all those things. <laughs> and, uh, John Connor. John Connor and all of these things. Watch and my and issue film. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think that, I think the the media is just as powerful, if not more powerful than ever, in helping people come to terms and, and making these things present for people in a way that they have before. Um, I, yeah.
2: I think the media can be really effective on issues of trans acceptance and gay acceptance because you're introducing people and it's a human story. I don't know how it works on things like race or, uh, you know, the Supreme Court uh, passed a regulation about cult or d de- or took away regulations on coal plants, about global warming that's going to fuck us down the road like i don't see how any kind of media is well, going global to I think about that.
0: Is global, global warming is tough because people uh hear facts they they understand on a abstract level the consequences of their actions but it's about bridging the gap from the extract the personal it's the same you know it's not too dissimilar from something like Bowling for columbine which really put america's problem with gun culture in, in sharp perspective in and a,
2: then nothing happened right, because with, it. I
0: mean, it's the same reason why there can't why um it's they're, they're having such difficulty passing better gun safety laws because it's not the, the congress is so in the pocket of the nra what really needs to happen the only way that it could ever change is if politicians feel like their constituents don't support this because if they right. will they're survivalists. They will do whatever they possibly need to do to stay in office. You see this time again, particularly from the GOP, saying whatever they need to be said and taking whatever positions need to be taken in order to accrue votes. And if they get the sense that the public has evolved to the point where uh, they are all advocating for greater gun safety and uh, the NRA <laughs> doesn't hold the same sway that they used to, then the gun laws will change. And I think that there is that sort of sense of accumulation. And I think...
1: Right. Well, that's what the Republicans were reacting to when the the marriage equality bill passed. You know, a lot of them were saying, "I don't really believe in this, but everyone else does." So we kind of have to of go. Course,
0: right, that. and it's hilarious <laughs> to watch them say. I mean, I don't. We don't need to make this. Of course, it's a political political you know, it's a political conversation. We don't need to take it away from movies altogether. But it is very amusing to me to watch someone like Jeb Bush come out swinging and say, "Well, you know, uh, we have, we all love our neighbors." Um, but I still believe in traditional marriage because he's trying to cater the the people to vote for him who feel the same way. But you are completely castrated if you in the you know unlikely chance that he ever sees office. Uh, there's nothing you can do. It's decided. The battle is over. You know. Yeah. Um, so it's. But yes. I. What, what are
1: we talking about? The, the the one thing I wanted to say about movies is is that. I think we're in a mode right now where a lot of the um, socially active stories uh, about issues, if you will, end up being biopics, which seems kind Mm -hmm. of harmful, right? Like we had In the Heat of the Night or or, um, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. These were fiction films about – they were about something that was resonating with people at that time about racial inequality. Um, But they weren't just telling stories about pioneers of this social issue. Do you feel like biopics end up – Kind of stalling these conversations in in
0: a well, particularly I mean, when they a feign a, they want they want to be doing advancing what? the conversation, but then like the imitation game, are too cowardly to uh, actually do so, and end up not only just being a wasted opportunity, but um, I think that they they can actually sort of be harmful in their own way.
2: Here's a good way to talk about how Hollywood's still afraid of gay people. Yeah.
0: Um, and I think that I think that that will oscar winning i think race is going to be uh well a complicated thing for time immemorial but uh on screens in the immediate future i think that um you will probably see hopefully more and better depictions of gay uh of gay people and gay cultures but i think that um again money rules all this is why you see such a prevalence of this in the indie world but until you know, I think it's going to be still uh, the vanguard is being able to have a a gay Marvel character and have him support his hey, own movie. Kevin
1: Kevin Feige says it's going to be like five years, and then we'll five see what
0: five years is embarrassing. It. Yeah, I think five years is. I understand they have their plan, but I think that. Uh, if if they are to oh i'm sorry his quote is within a decade well that's even worse that's even worse (laughs) if you know if uh dc they already got black panther what do you want and of course they don't as we've seen time and time again they would take the initiative to uh get the jump um and it's not to capitalize on that audience i just think that we need that sort of watershed moment if we're gonna. They're
1: also just running out of stories, right? Like, how many Marvel movies with the exact same plot can you see? You almost have to have uh, a gay or lesbian character or transgender character just to, like, spice it up.
2: I don't know that, I mean, if you have a gay superhero, they're probably still going to have a boring origin story by getting
1: bitten by something. and just no, They're going to have a different romantic angle. I mean. Who knows what could happen?
2: I, I want yeah, well, I want superhero movies yeah. with fewer romantic angles in general. Right.
1: <laughs> I mean, you're absolutely right. Like, where you demand a, a gay or lesbian transgender superhero, and then how does that factor in at all? Like what? What I mean, a trans superhero there? would
2: be fascinating because superheroes are about questions of identity and hiding yourself yeah. from being who you really are. Like that makes sense. That that could I be mean, great. A gay superhero could be fascinating or could just be a boring take on a romance we don't need in a movie. It just depends on if the movie's well done.
1: Right. Well, Captain America: Civil War is all about like hiding your identity. So maybe uh, this new Spider Man mm-hmm. should be like hey. yeah. And all,
2: all the X Men. Like, you want me to have gay superheroes with the first X Men?
1: Not really. But the no, metaphor, well, I mean, the X Men worked very well. No, X-Men's long history. Uh, I mean, they're not gay, but they're gay parables. Yeah. And that's why. They worked well back yeah. then. Mm-hmm. So we're
0: doomed. I think um, uh, X-Men Days of Future Past was nothing but a metaphor for shit storytelling. Uh,
2: wow. I think whatever,
0: whatever uh, even with Brian Singer behind the helm, uh, known whatever this. allegorical power those movies once had is long since gone. <laughs> I'm and so I think glad Marvel, our political Marvel conversation Marvel movies, has ended
2: in shitting on X-Men well, Days of Future Past. Well, movies are
0: so asexual but aggressively so and, and really I, I find it aggressive uh, i don't know i think that those are the the areas that are lagging the most behind are the ones where it would be most valuable to uh, make progress so then we well, just would to, just most to felt.
1: wrap up here i should say that arnold schwarzenegger's character in expendables 3 was gay so what? if we want to point to anything that
0: is progressive Who, what am i thinking of that there arnold? was a big a big studio movie recently where there was a gay character that went uncommented upon, and I was very pleased with that. I, I wish I, I wish I could remember. I Maybe somebody out there listening Maybe can help me someone out. In Jurassic but it's the World. end of
1: Expendables three. It was not Trench Arnold Schwarzenegger's character tells everyone that he and Jet Li are an item.
2: Oh. What? How did I not yes. hear about that?
1: Really? That is bizarre. I made a bit. I made. I. I mean. I want. I don't want to toot my own horn, but I asked the director in an interview and, on Grantland, and he was like, "Yeah, that's what that was intentional."
2: Is it like so. a joke? Like, what's the? It's
1: it's kind of a joke, but it's kind of like, "Hey, we're together," and everyone's like, yay! Because no one really knew that. What
2: a weird and so they, world. He we basically live came in.
1: out at the bar at the end of the movie, and then the movie's over. <laughs> uh, and that's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Wait, David, for were you. you
2: thinking of Fast Five, and all of the simmering male sexual tension in that movie? No. No. <laughs> All right. Well.
1: Well, uh, listeners can respond and uh, fill us <laughs> we in. Don't even on this. know what we
2: want them to respond about.
1: <laughs> respond about I don't any know. Any of the things. Flag. We, any
2: of the many things we talked about.
1: They're taking it. They're taking it off uh, the Dukes of Hazard car. Gone with the wind. You'll never be able to see it again. That's not true.
2: And uh, uh, someone, like I know that there is a gay Marvel character in the comics, and someone tells us who that is and what. I think there's
1: many gay. Characters okay, well, tell
2: us which comics. one of them deserves to have their own movies. So we can root for them.
1: They should just, I guess. Uh, Confederate flag man will not be getting a movie. <laughs> oh, like
2: too bad. He's too. really been. has such a great art. He was in Phase Wars. three,
1: but he is phased out. Is Infinity wow. War?
2: That does it for today's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back on Friday talking about what David Ehrlich has called the red shoes of our generation, Magic Mike XXL. Wow. uh, Yeah. In the meantime, tell the people who you are.
1: I'm Matt Patches. I'm a senior writer at Esquire.com, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And for all things Fighting in the War Room, we have a website, fightinginthewarroom.com. All the episodes are there. You can comment. You can share. Uh, you can go crazy. I don't even... The, the possibilities
0: are endless. Uh, fightinginthewarroom.com. I'm David Ehrlich. I am the Associate Film Editor of Time at New York, the Editor-at-Large of... Little White Lies. Um, If I get my shit together and finish something on time, you can find me writing about Magic Mike on Rollingstone.com this week. Uh, And you can find all of us together at Fighting in the War Room on Facebook.
2: And I'm Katie Rich. You can find me on VanityFair.com or on Twitter at K-A-T-E-Y-R-A-C-H. Twitter is also the place where you can find all of us talking about Magic Mike in politics, probably ill-advisedly, at uh, FITWR. That is also the place to answer this week's lightning round question, which was... Ashes, that's oh you, yeah. I yeah, I have to do that
1: I have to do that because Dave is in here you, Well, it was in honor of Amy, the Amy Winehouse documentary I guess I didn't say that in the beginning But it's kind of good uh, What is what is the most eye-opening documentary about a musician?
2: Thank you for listening And we'll be back talking to you on Friday
1: yeah. The things I would do yeah. to you yeah. You and your body. Yeah. Every single portion Since yeah. yeah. up and down your spine the is flowing down.